watching prohibition fall down. What's up, DGC? Scotty Real, and I'm hanging out today with, with somebody I really respect, somebody I really dig, David Beanstock. What's going on, brother? Ah, chilling, man. Glad to th- glad to be back on the show. Yeah. By the way, I don't really know how to pronounce your last name, so I just call you Bean. <laughs> I call you Bean. That's what you call yourself over on the on the podcast. It's kind of what you're known by, huh? Yeah, the podcast is great moments in weed history with Abdullah and Bean. Spoiler alert. I'm being the other guy is Abdullah. <laughs> you know, I will say I was high. It took me at least two minutes to figure out that you were Bean. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, I get things when I'm baked. I just get them a little bit slower. Okay. Hey, anyway, I do dig what you're doing, man. You've had shows on shit. You've had shows on Vice. You're actually a real media guy that actually knows what he's doing. Uh, we're guys that decide we grew and, and folks that wanted to share our knowledge through a podcast or just actually build a community around, uh, around growing. When I listen to your show, it sounds like, uh, sounds like, you know what you're doing, brother. Well, that's what I love about podcasting. It's, you know, it's open to everybody. And Abdullah and I, as you mentioned, like we worked on a vice show called Bong Appetit together. Fuck he yeah. was the host. I did the production. You know, I was the producer. I had a long history with High Times, working with all these different places. But ultimately, what we decided was uh, we wanted to make something ourselves that reflects exactly what we want to contribute to this community, what we find interesting. Um, I think that it's very important to tell these stories about cannabis history yes, so that I they agree. don't get lost. And podcasting let us do that uh, completely independently. Um, so we try to bring all the skills and knowledge and experience we have in, you know, between the two of us, 25 years uh, of media experience, but to do it in a way where we control every aspect of the show. We're not answering to anybody. Um, and we can put out something that I think is really high quality uh, without having to um, deal with these other brands and companies that, you know, don't always see the things the way we do. Can, can I ask you about that? You've had a show on Vice, like so you've worked with High Times. Is there a lot of editing there? I mean, you know, we've always been just an independent. We're a couple friends that get together. Every now and again, I say something so fucked up. Guru's like, you can't say that on the air. You can't announce the middle schooler's name that robbed your crop last year. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, you cannot. But are there a lot of things that when you're doing something like that for Vice or High Times that you get shut down? Or you, do you really get edited that badly without throwing anybody under the bus? It's not. It's not so much. I mean, editing can be a good thing if you're making a better product. Uh, it's just editor. the idea of like all these gatekeepers. Um, you know, we when we had this idea for great moments in weed history, uh, we could have spent the next six years trying to convince one of these companies to uh, partner with us and and put some money in, and then they're going to want to control and own the show and have every aspect of it under them. And we end up working for them. Sure. And that's fine. But at this point in our lives and our careers and our just sort of vision for what the cannabis community wants, uh, we said we could just start making this show tomorrow. Uh, Whereas like Bong Appetit, is a video show. We flew all over the country. Right. Uh, it, it was super fun. It was an amazing. I'm very proud of it. I love that show. Uh, but we couldn't have started that show ourselves the next day. 
uh, because of how much it costs to make an episode. With podcasting, yeah, I put a lot of time into researching the stories. Right. Um, but we own the show, we control the show, and that's super important to us because we can make it exactly our vision. Um, and we can tell, to me, like really, really fascinating stories. Some of our most popular episodes from the first season were like um, – about Carl Sagan sure. uh, was a huge cannabis enthusiast. He sure was. And we go deep cool. on it. We talk about it for 45 minutes. Uh, so awesome. there's a lot of tangents and humor and but but real history, you know, uh, stories about Napoleon uh, invaded Egypt. And that's how the hashish trade got to Europe. Uh, and we know these stories are fascinating. Jesus uh, used cannabis-infused oil to perform healing miracles. Bob Dylan smoked the Beatles out for the first time right. uh, in their lives. Like, we know these stories are fascinating not just to us, but to anybody who really loves weed, uh, but trying to convince these other companies that that's what we should be doing eat, instead of something that's like, fast and easy uh, so that they can try to make the most money possible. It just got to the point where we just said we could do this ourselves and podcasting allowed us to do that. So, you know, I'm super grateful for the medium. I love that there's so many interesting uh, weed podcasts out there and they all have a different perspective. We just thought, you know, as we go into this moment of legalization, which is amazing, uh, we really have to preserve the outlaw history of cannabis, the people who fought back against these laws, the people who created weed culture when right. it was underground. Absolutely. Uh, one of our one of our really cool episodes coming up this season is just about how the history of jazz music in the 30s and 40s is completely fueled uh, by weed, reefer, smuggle, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, those those cats were the weed culture of their day. They sang about it. Sure. Uh, we uh, Different jazz musicians uh, would travel around to perform and they would literally give people seeds. <laughs> and then they'd awesome. say, hey, next year when I come through town, they'd smoke people out. Right. People would say, wow, that was amazing. And the music was amazing. And then they'd say, here, Here's a bunch of seeds. When I come back through town next year, you guys better have your own weed and I want to try it. Uh, wow. And that was a big part of how uh, cannabis culture spread in the in the 30s and 40s in the U.S. Yeah. And, and we get none of this. None, none of this. By, by the way, I just want to touch on something. You're a cannabis podcast and we're a cannabis podcast. And the dumbest thing I ever hear is that, oh, you know, I'm loyal to your podcast and I don't listen to anybody else's. Dude, it's not a competition. It's a cooperation. So there are so many good podcasts out there and you can put them in your ear in the morning, never touch the TV for the whole day and just switch from one to the other, get so many different perspectives and, and bits of knowledge. So I dig your podcast, man. If any of y'all listen to the Dude Grow Show, you know, check this thing out, man. I think you'll like it. Great moments in weed history. I'll give you an official plug, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I agree with that sentiment. And I and I think that's what makes this culture great. Uh, you know, it, it's very reflective of how diverse uh, the community is. You have people who are really interested in the growing aspects, yep. but they're also care about the history 
of our movement and our culture. Or you have people who, you know, maybe their interest is in getting into the business. Well, if you're going to get into this business and you don't want to know the history of what people went through, right, good and bad, uh, to get us to this moment, then I, I think that you should. I don't think you should start making money off of something that you don't understand. Oh, we call um, them the pink shirts. And man. so we really want to intersect with, with all of that. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. I appreciate the, you know, what do they say? If you don't know your history, then you don't know where you're coming from, right? Yeah, Bob Marley. I tell you what, I found another Bob Marley. I actually read your book. <laughs> I listened to Audible a ton, and Audible recommended your book to me, which tells me that Amazon is fucking listening. They know about me, man, but <laughs> how to smoke pot properly. When I first saw that, I was like, how does, I know how to smoke pot properly. <laughs> but uh, it's actually a witty book, or it's a witty title for a book that actually starts getting into these stories. You, t- you tell quite a few of these stories in that book in, in a very entertaining way. And uh, I will say thank you for making an Audible version somebody tells it to me <laughs> <laughs> awesome and then what we do in the show is uh i i take these stories i really delve deep into them i i it's that's to me one of the most fun parts of this is uh not just the surface story of of oh okay you might have heard that bob dylan smoked out the beatles or willie nelson smoked a joint on the roof of the white house and nothing else but that's all I'll, you know yeah i'll delve deep find out all the details, everything I can about it. I write out a version of it. And then when we record the podcast, I sit down with Abdullah and he has no idea what we're about to talk about. He knows about weed, obviously, and he might know some parts of the story, but he's reacting to everything in real time. Uh, So there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of tangents, uh, but you're going to get a really, you know, we don't take ourselves seriously, but we take weed seriously. We take uh, history seriously. Um, And so many of these stories have larger implications, um, you know, about everything from the criminal justice system to cannabis and creativity uh, you really can start to see how the story of uh, cannabis in the story of humanity are so closely linked. Um, so yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. It's a good education, but I guarantee you will uh, laugh as much as you learn. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Hey, so I just want to ca- uh, just podcast it a podcast. You don't do any show prep at all. You guys don't bullshit before the show at all because dude gets mad at me. I try to show prep. And he's like, nope, make it organic. Got to be got to be organic. Well, I do a lot of work before the episode. Oh, yeah. So that I could tell the story to Abdullah. But I will never tell him. We, neither of it, it's it's the most fun for us. And I think that comes across in the recording. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, he'd in, in every episode, I'll sort of tease it out in the beginning uh, and have him try to guess what the story is going to be about or who the story is going to be about. And there's always a really fun moment where he's like, oh, wait, it's a story about Obama when he was a teenager uh, being part of the Chum gang and smoking tons of Pakalolo in Hawaii. Or it's a story about the Iron Sheik. You know, that moment when he comes to realize what the story is about is, is a big part of the fun. And then, you know, just getting his natural reactions to things 
uh, keeps us, you know, right in the moment and, and a lot of fun back and forth. Nice. And, you know, he and I are just very good friends. And, and so uh, we live in different places. We don't get to hang out all the time. So for us, it's kind of taking our, our natural vibe with each other uh, and bringing it into the show. You're so funny to say that. That's exactly what happened with the dude and I. He'd moved down to Denver about an hour, hour and a half from me. We're, I thought we were best friends in my thoughts. So let's freaking, and we were just hanging out bullshitting every day for an hour or so about what was going on in cannabis. And uh, Todd saw him at a party one day. He said, I'm starting a podcast. And I said, me too. So we just joined forces. But <laughs> that's so funny how that goes. You basically just are talking to friends or at least the best podcast. I know I love Rogan. When he talks, he's talking to friends. It's wonderful to get in a conversation like that. Yeah, I think the best, the, the most, you know, we get a lot of emails. And the ones that I think really touch my heart the most is I, I got one from somebody who said, you know what? I just moved somewhere. I don't have anybody here to smoke with. I'm just kind of like a little bummed and figuring things out. Sure. And you guys gave me the feeling of being in a sesh. Yep. And for that hour, you know, I learned a lot and I love the show, but that feeling uh, came across that that really made me feel good because that was a big goal for me. And and I think, you know, to all the loner stoners out there or, you know, just if you have a long ride or whatever, providing that uh, good feeling to people. Um, and I've certainly had that from other podcasts that I listen to, you know, I'm a big fan of podcasting in general. So that's definitely what we're trying to put out there. I love it. Absolutely. You know, oh shit. I think we were getting pulled over there. Do we get by? <laughs> I'm getting pulled over in my own apartment. Fuck, man, so. Good. <laughs> hey dude. So I love these stories, man. You're a good storyteller. Would you just give us a taste, you know, give us a taste of what, of what your show is all about. And, and, uh, come on, give me a story. What the fuck's up with Obama? I seen that, uh, picture of him with the funny hat on smoking, what looks like to be a giant fucking spliff. Uh, I never really heard anything else about that. I guess that shit got buried, but at least it's on the internet. He was a fucking stoner. Yeah, well, in his own autobiography, okay. which, which uh, it came out actually in the late 90s, uh, he talked about how he smoked weed as a teenager growing up. But he kind of framed it like, uh, you know, I was young and I made mistakes and blah, blah, blah. He, he, he didn't like he didn't talk shit about weed. Right. But he wasn't like smoking. You know, he's trying to run for president, sure. especially back then. Yep. He's he's not saying like weed was great and made me the person I am. <laughs> but he never says like weed's bad and terrible or whatever. He just kind of lumps it all in. But then another writer uh, writing a book about him went back and interviewed his friends right. from Hawaii. Uh, so he went to high school in Hawaii in the 1970s, and he was part of what was called the Chum Gang. And Chum is Hawaiian slang for weed. So his crew in high school of very close friends that he hung out with all the time not only smoked weed, but they called themselves the Chum Gang. Uh, so that should give you some idea. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Key and Peel sketch uh, okay. where he plays a young Obama, uh, but it's all based on this. Uh, and so he invented things like this is Obama invented things like uh, total absorption, which was his policy that if you didn't hold in the weed long enough, you got skipped the next time in rotation. I love the uh, fact that this guy was already leading the circle, punishing people. 
<laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, he has he has policies. He had know, policies in the they, weed circle. They uh, had roof hits, which is if you were they were hot boxing this car, uh, you would uh, when the joint went out, everybody would lean up to the top of the roof of the car and suck in the last bits of lingering smoke. Uh, and he was known for occasionally doing an interception where you he'd come in out of out of turn and and snag the joint and say intercepted and take a take an extra hit obviously in a playful way uh hey, but what what this really uh, comes out man. too is is <sighs> you know as a young person he was struggling with a lot of things you know he had a difficult upbringing he had a very difficult uh family situation in many ways huh. he and and cannabis was something that really seemed to have helped him through those times. And, you know, I can see myself reflected in that. Oh, sure. Um, so that's also what these stories are really about is uh, to take these sort of legendary figures and see that their relationship to cannabis is not much different uh, than anybody else's. Another great example is uh, so we did a story about how Willie Nelson spoke to Join on the roof of the White House. I was gonna which ask is just you, amazing. I was going to ask amazing you. Like, that's story. all I know about that. No, nothing. It's more, beautiful so. how it come out. But in researching it, one of the things that I I realized is uh, Willie Nelson was such a bad alcoholic before he started smoking weed huh. uh, that by his own admission he was going to be dead. Uh, he was going to die from alcoholism. And in his own words, uh, he became a real asshole when he drank. Uh, so this, you know, it's the fun story of him smoking a, a, a joint on the roof of the White House. That's amazing. But when you dial in a little bit, you also realize it's about a story of somebody who changed their life and really saved their life. Uh, through cannabis and and replacing alcohol with cannabis. Now, I like to have a drink or whatever, uh, but I also know other people who've done the same thing. Right. Um, and that's a really good example to put out for people. Sure. Um, you know, that this might be a way out of whether it's alcohol, whether it's opioids, whether, you know, I, I always like to say just uh, weed's not the cure for being an asshole, but it's a good place to start. Right. Uh, and I think that's all reflected in Willie Nelson's story. And now he's really, you know, not just a weed icon, but a national icon, somebody who is probably one of the most widely respected oh, yeah. uh, people in the United States. Hey, who do you think really, I mean, you study the history. I mean, I know you can go back to the Harry Anslinger days, but who's been the demon of this? Uh, you know, who's really been keeping cannabis down, if I can ask you as a historian, uh, over the past 50, 70 years? I mean, what, why has it had such a negative rap for something that's so positive to so many people? Yeah, I think, you know, Anslinger is is a great place to start if you want to understand, you know, go back to the 1930s. How right. did it become federally illegal? Um, but I always like to look at it this way. You know, we you and I, the people listening to this podcast. Right. We we know that alcohol. Uh, we know that uh, cannabis prohibition isn't reflective of the dangers of cannabis. Right. right. Um, I'm not saying cannabis is completely harmless, but it's very beneficial and the harms are very low. What do they say? So the most dangerous none thing of about that, cannabis is the potential harms are very low. So right. none of that 
would would make arresting 800,000 people a year and taking people's kids away and, and all these bad things. That's not why. So then look at the other side. Perhaps it's the potential of cannabis that makes it so dangerous to the government. Oh. Uh, on the personal level, I think it leads to questioning authority in a way that I find very positive, but those in authority find very threatening. Now it's also a threat to the alcohol industry. It's a threat to the plastics uh, industry, which was new, <laughs> newly emerging. It's a threat to the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, cannabis prohibition is a huge benefit to the prison industrial complex. Jeez, and I think that these are the yeah. forces uh, that we're really going up against. Yep. And tracing this history through our heroes and through these great moments, what we see is a resistance movement a grassroots resistance movement Absolutely. that took on all of this entrenched power without, you know, the Democratic Party did not help. The Republican Party certainly did not help. Uh, we took on uh, the media, which lies constantly about this subject. We yep. took on the medical establishment that denied the medicinal uh, power of this plant. And we won. So I think it's a great testament to this community. And it's also a great model for anybody that wants to take on authoritarianism, that wants to take on oppressive systems, um, and that wants to create positive change in society. Could, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, interesting. But unfortunately, we've had a lot of, of casualties along the way. A lot of people sitting in prison for the rest of their lives because uh, they grew this plant. Yeah, man. When I when I, I so I started, uh, I, I have no affiliation with them anymore, but I, I started working at High Times in 2002. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and my job at the time, I really wrote the political stuff and the news and day after day, just stories of people's lives being ruined. I mean, my literal specialty was writing articles about people's whose lives were being ruined for no reason over this beneficial plant. Yep. Um, yep. And it I, that never leaves me, and, I, and it never leaves me that that is the condition still in many states in this country, many places around the world. You know, this, we're winning, but this is far from over. Um, and, you know, some of our stories definitely reflect that. I don't know if you're familiar with the musician Fela Kuti uh, from Nigeria. Uh -uh. Uh, but we did an incredible, a, a tremendous champion for cannabis um, and a long, wild story. Uh, but what it comes down to is the Nigerian authorities really wanted to put uh, put him in prison because of his activism and how outspoken he was. Looks like, jeez. And so they tried to plant weed on him, and he grabbed the joint out of their hand and ate it. So they tried to hold him in prison for three days so they could collect his shit oh, and test it for weed. Uh, but he, with help from the other people he was locked up with, he managed to do a uh, switcheroo. Oh, God. What is <laughs> and, happening and, here? This and get out plant. of it. So even there, it's like this very, very funny moment. It's a switcheroo. And we have a lot of fun in the episode, but it, it it's couched in this story of people getting fucked with. And like, that's 
I've I've loved weed since the first time I tried it. It, it really did help me yep. change and grow as a person. But also, I've always been driven by the need to stop this terribly oppressive system. And and it it is really heartening to me to just see that happening day by day with a lot of missteps and 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 bullshit along the way. But the 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 arc of progress uh, has has been really great to see. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree. And it's because folks like like you are pushing it down, though, man. I mean, you're getting mainstream attention. Very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're all a part of this. You know, even I think every people need to if you live somewhere where weed is not yet legal, uh, you know, the number one thing, the number one responsibility of any revolutionary is right. to not get caught. <laughs> yes, so sir. do not get caught. If you want to fight the war on weed, don't get caught. And be smart about it. And and if you're taking risks, take them in a smart way and know what you're risking. And then the second thing is you should think of smoking weed in a prohibition place as an act of civil disobedience against the government and understand that you are part of a long tradition of peaceful civil disobedience uh, in this country and in the weed movement for sure. Um, and that is, you know, beyond that, getting involved with local activism, uh, whether it's normal, whether it's another organization, uh, find the people that live near you that are working on this, join forces with them. They'll be happy to have you and they'll put you to work and, you know, meet some really cool people who share a uh, common interest. Yeah. I mean, we talk about breaking the stoner stereotype, too. It's not all Tommy Chong looking folks. You know, it's a lot of, <clears throat> you know, mother, you know, whatever soccer. I actually had a soccer mom came over and uh, hooked me up with some great, great dank. I mean, but it's all these people, <laughs> uh, you know, I see in the dispensaries. I'll go there sometimes in the middle of the day. I'll be like, hey, guys, I'm taking my lunch and going to the dispensary. Try to try to beat the lines. There's a uh, 55, 70 year old, you know, there's like between 55, 60, 70 year olds there. You know, these are demographics you wouldn't think would jump on the cannabis uh I don't say bandwagon, but just you start using cannabis so quickly. And they are because it's good medicine. And they probably, these folks are probably, you know, young and using it in the 60s. Yeah, all of those stereotypes are like every other kind of stereotype. Um, they're meant to keep people down. And it's also because at a time when, back when cannabis was really, really, really you know, aside from the law, just look down on and would make it hard to get a job, make sure. it hard to do all these things. Um, most people did it and kept it to themselves. And the people who were willing to come out and say, uh, you know, I'm out of the cannabis closet uh, was really at one point just, you know, not a representative sample of the whole. And that oh. is starting to change. And you know, one of the biggest ways that changed was with medical cannabis, uh, because if something if a plant saves your life or a plant saves your aunt's life or your grandma's life right. or your niece's life or, you know, um, you're going to want to tell other people. And that really started to change it. We had a couple of stories in season one uh, about Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary. Sure. Who who, uh, you know, risked everything basically to supply cannabis 
to uh, AIDS and cancer patients. Yeah, he was a real hero uh, for that. I mean, he his was shot were by dying. The, yeah, right Dennis Perone was shot by the police. He did time in jail. Uh, he never stopped. You know, he was a a Vietnam vet. He was gay. He was a hippie. Um, and at a certain point when he saw all these and he was a dealer, you know, right. Uh, a, a righteous dealer. Yes. He made money, but you know, he believed in weed. And then when he saw this AIDS crisis hit San Francisco, yep. he realized it was bigger than him and that what he needed to do was get as much cannabis to as many ill people as he could, no matter what. And, and for that, like I said, he got shot by the cops. He did time in jail. He never stopped. He opened the first dispensary in California. And ultimately, he was a big part of uh, of getting Prop 215 passed, which was the first statewide medical cannabis law. And that was in California. Yeah, I mean, absolutely huge advocate. And what you're talking about is if we, you know, the AIDS epidemic when it came out, I mean, I was a kid, but I saw it. It was horrible. These people were just wasting away. They didn't even name it AIDS in the beginning. It was just this mystery disease that was affecting the gay community. And it was just absolutely horrible. And to see that happen to your friends and to say, I know you, you can't eat. I know you can't eat. You're sick. Uh, smoke a little bit of weed. It'll make your stomach feel better. To not be able to help your friends with a, a medicine that you know will help them and just just to not be able to give it to him because of some stupid law that's racist, I would have to break it too. And you would have to, there's no way. Yeah. And, and really following up from that, it, the, the thing too is the relief for someone in that situation is so immediate. Yep. You, you know, you can really take somebody from, from, from wasting, as they say, mm -hmm. unable to eat to having an appetite in you know, half a joint. And so what that did was really spurred people from the research and to start to look seriously at cannabis as a medicine, to take it seriously and understand, wow, nothing, we're throwing all of these pharmaceuticals at people and it's not helping. And here's this plant that helps so much right away. Right. Um, and that led directly to some of the first, uh, clinical studies that showed uh, not just that cannabis is effective, but how and why it's effective. Um, and that so you can really draw a direct line from the civil disobedience of Brownie Mary and Dennis Perone to our modern understanding of just how medicinal this plan is. I, I love it. You know, the one thing I will say is that you don't have to be dying to enjoy the benefits <laughs> or to get benefit from cannabis. That's the one uh, thing that I think we need to still uh, let folks understand is that if you have a stomach ache, cannabis is a great thing to use for it. You know, if you have anxiety and you can't shut down after work, cannabis is a great thing to relax with. You don't need to have AIDS or cancer or be dying to be able to use cannabis medicinally. Yeah, your your stomachache, listener, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with no offense, is not comparable to chemo. I agree. So if, if we benefit. can help you through chemo, it can definitely help you through your uh, stomachache. Yeah. I like to say, you know, it's powerful enough to get you through chemotherapy and gentle enough that you don't have a hangover. Damn, um, like and it, I think if you can understand those two things about cannabis, you can really understand how beneficial it is to so many people. I've... 
Brother, I, I love you as a messenger. <laughs> Keep on preaching, man. Keep on preaching the gospel, the truth, I will say. <laughs> the good news. That's what the gospel uh, gospel means, the good news. And I, I'm not religious, but I'm all about the good news of cannabis. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And can I bug you for one more story? You're, you're the historian. I don't normally get to talk to a cannabis <laughs> historian. Uh, I was in Amsterdam. I've been in Amsterdam since the 80s. And I've been going back and forth. And I, cause that was the only place to get seeds. You know, there, there was the Sensi Seed Bank, I think I was visiting back then, but I didn't understand what the deal was with that. How the fuck did that all develop? How is that all in Europe? It's, it's illegal. And then in Amsterdam, they look the other way. You do have a, a episode about this, but. Yeah, you. we have an episode in uh, season one. It's this group called the Provost and they were kind of uh, just before the hippies in the United States. Okay. Uh, it was a youth movement. They were anarchistic. They did all kinds of street demonstrations. And you basically had this generation of young people taking on entrenched power. Um, and they had a lot of different causes, but weed uh, was a big one for them and they pushed for it. Um, and ultimately, uh, they found that there was a loophole in the law where only the flowering tops of cannabis were illegal. So they they uh, just started selling starts to everybody or giving starts away or oh, wow. giving people seeds. Um, they would have big smoke outs uh, and and challenge the authorities in that way. Uh, they opened the first coffee shops as acts of civil disobedience. There was no law that said that they could, uh, but they did it as a challenge to authority. And ultimately, you know, they secured a lot of freedom there and, and Amsterdam and the Netherlands served as a beacon for the rest of the world as a safe haven or what you can sometimes call a uh, autonomous zone, a place where the people have clawed back a little bit of control over their own lives right. from, you know, what the provost used to call, they, they referred to the existing power structure as despicable plastic people. <laughs> you know, they basically said the people who are in charge are not better than us. They don't have our best interests at heart. They only care about money and power. And we want to create a new system with new values. And weed is not only a part of that, in terms of having legal access, but it is an inspiration to us in our thinking. It helps us liberate our thinking and our minds. And that led them down the path that ultimately led to, you know, all of the seed banks. And, you know, you had not just the coffee shops in Amsterdam where people can go and smoke. And, and most people knew about that. Uh, but for all the growers in the world, especially of that era, no that the seeds coming out of the Netherlands right. went all around the world. Yes, they did. Kind Bud, kind bud uh, came to everywhere in the world through Amsterdam. A lot of the genetics originated in California, but people brought them to the Netherlands because they could safely produce seeds in large numbers. And then from there, they were shipped all over the world. And that is... Uh, you know, we tell that story in the episode. It's fascinating. And it had a huge effect on cannabis uh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like an epicenter for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And just fascinating people. That's the, the other thing is like, I love this plant and I 
I find it fascinating, but also in, this is just all of these stories have incredible people at their heart. Yep. Um, some of whom you're going to have definitely heard of uh, and some of whom you'll be hearing about for the first time. But believe me, you know, uh, we picked those stories for a reason. Um, and you may not have heard of uh, some of the people that we're covering, but you'll be pulled in right away. Yeah, we just had Tom Alexander on the show a couple of days ago. I, I, I didn't know him beforehand. Fuck, what a pioneer. Uh, somebody that just hung his balls out there for the, you know, for, for what we have now. A really cool guy, publisher of uh, uh, Grower's Edge and what the hell? Oh, Sensamia Tips, man. That's ballsy to do that kind of shit in the 80s. Yeah, speaking. So we, we have a two part episode coming up a little later this season right. uh, about the founder of High Times magazine, who was a smuggler, who was a left wing political revolutionary. Right. Um, and same thing. Everybody's heard of High Times, but I don't think most people know his story. And is it is now? incredible, you know, from from flying plane loads of Colombian bud right. into the Everglades oh, yeah. uh, to, you know, throwing a pie in the face of a senator during a, a congressional <laughs> hearing on obscenity. Right. You know, he's a larger than life figure. And for me, having worked at High Times in its independent uh, heyday, not not with this gentleman who who passed away in the 70s, but okay. being part of that tradition, telling that story meant so much to me. And I I really can't wait for that one to come out and, and have people uh, learn more about uh, this incredible person. Oh, can you shout him out? So at least we know his name. Tom Frasad. Tom Frasad. Got it. Uh, and just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it'll be a little bit until that episode comes out. So it gives you time to catch up with the show. Sure. And I know that one's going to be uh, an incredible episode. And we actually had a special guest of somebody who was there when High Times was founded wow. and who went on smuggling missions with Tom Fursad. So, you know, aside from our history, we really got a firsthand uh account of it all it's it's going to be one of my favorites of the year of this of this season uh, that, that's awesome wow man i was just i was just wondering so he passed away in the 70s you're saying yeah the magazine you know he did a lot of things before he founded the magazine right. he founded the magazine in, in 1974 and right. he passed away unfortunately in 1978 got it i just wonder what me, he would think he, of it now he lived more he lived more in his time on earth you know, than, than, than most people. So I bet, I bet, man, we, I'm from South Florida. So those stories aren't, uh, aren't bullshit. <laughs> those are real stories. So there'd be crash planes. Oh uh, yeah. And frequently. check out, we have an episode about, uh, the black tuna, Robert Platshore, and oh, was sure. a big smuggler into, uh, and now after he's another real inspiration to me, uh, after serving almost 30 years uh, for a nonviolent smuggling charge. Right. He got out and became an ad advocate and an activist. And now he goes from uh, he goes to all these different senior centers in Florida and talks to people about medical cannabis and how it can help them and really helped pass uh, the first medical cannabis law in Florida. And really we see so many senior citizens realizing that this is a much better medicine than all of these pills they're getting prescribed. And, and he's been at the forefront of that and just the heart and resiliency of somebody to do 30 years and come out and decide that what they want to do is 
is still love this plant and still help people. Yep. Um, that's really inspiring to me. And it's it's an exciting story. He talks about, you know, flying into these little villages in Colombia, these little hidden uh airstrips up in the mountains where they'd already be waiting with sure. with the big big bales to load up the plane and fill it with gas and then they'd get right back in the air and go right back to the everglades and uh oh, and bring man. in those multi-ton shipments you know Heart's it was an exciting era pumping man pumping when that's going on first off just landing on that little fucked up airstrip man that's got to get you there's a lot of crashed out planes. I have my nursery out by a little private airstrip that really shouldn't be there. And dude, the guy keeps like every, it's like five different people by the property because they all keep dying. Like flying your plane is one of those things. If you just fly it around every day, what do they say? It's fairly risky, but the more you do it, the more risk you got, you know? Yeah, I hear you. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's that was before before we were growing it all in the U.S. That's where a lot of it came from. You know, it had to be smuggled in. And I find that smuggling era really fascinating. Yeah, me too. Um, Absolutely. It's hard to get people to talk about it now, though. At least any of my friends won't. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to wait for the Statue of Limitations to run out. <laughs> it's true. I tried to get them. I got my buddies Good and Stone driving down the road. Come on, tell me about it. I think they know I'm a podcaster, which I probably wouldn't tell my podcaster <laughs> buddy too much. <laughs> hey, brother. But you're going to rat out that kid for, for stealing your plants. Not that he didn't deserve it. Hey, Big yeah. difference between smuggling and uh, and clipping. Wow. Hey, I will say, man, don't assume gender. It was a chick. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. I had a female ripper, huh? huh? <laughs> yeah, I was the, the ripper was the term I, I lost for a sec. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, brother, right. I think talking to you, I could talk to you all day. I know you got a heart out, but uh, you're going to be at the Emerald Cup. I'm going to be there. I hope you are because I'd like to hang out. I will absolutely be at the Emerald Cup. I think it's the best cannabis event of the year. And uh, you better bring something good to smoke because I'm going to. Yeah, come on. That sounds like a challenge. DGC, help us rise <laughs> to the occasion. My crew is going to be there. Let's uh, knock David on it. Let's knock Dean on his ass, man. But no, nah, you're a pro. You're a pro. We'll just get high and have a good laugh together. How about that? Sounds perfect. I love it. Hey, you're an amazing guest. Thanks. Don't be a stranger, by the way. I would love to have you back. There's so many uh, cool stories you could tell. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely check out your podcast, man. Absolutely. Give it, a, give it a good shout out, man. How do you, how do you shout it out? You do it professionally, sir. It is Great Moments in Weed History with Abdullah and Bean. Just look for Great Moments in Weed History wherever you get your podcast. Yes, wherever fine podcasts are served. And if you like the show and you want to give us a little uh, review, nice review on iTunes, that is definitely a way you can help. And if you like the show and you want to tell a few friends and uh, please do the same uh, for for these guys. You know, if you're 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 listening right now. You've been listening to this for a while. You obviously like it. Tell some friends. That's how we get our, our word out there. And that kind of support goes a long way. Hell yes, brother. Keep on pushing prohibition down. I really appreciate you, man. Same. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. Take her easy, brother. You too. All right. Later. Some people love to blaze up the tank. Yeah, we get happy for noon. And when the boss says is to take a little break, that means we're lighting up a dude. It's just weed. It's just weed. It's just weed, it's just weed, 